Hi, Alex here with Jack's Viral Podcast, and we've got some really interesting stuff for you in this edition. We're going to hear from scientists, pubs, and imam, and we're going to finish with some music too, so make yourselves comfortable. Now, it's been an important week here in Oxfordshire as human trials of a vaccine from the University of Oxford began as the county became the epicentre of the global fight against the pandemic. Elsewhere in the city, researchers from the uni are looking at the long-term effects of the coronavirus on the human body. The uni Seymour study will look at the effects the illness has on the lungs, heart, liver and kidneys over 12 months. We spoke to Dr Betty Raman, who's leading the study, and she warned us that the public perception that a person either recovers from or is killed by the illness may be too simplistic. So coronavirus disease or COVID-19 is a fatal disease of pandemic proportions. Within just four months from its initial report, COVID-19 has claimed more than 100,000 lives worldwide. So this is a important disease that needs to be investigated and researched. More importantly, there are thousands of people who have recovered from this uh, infection, and we don't still know how this is likely to affect people after the acute phase or infection of this disease. There has been some early work done, people who recovered from the SARS outbreak so the SARS survivor, which showed that in those who recover from the SARS infection, there seems to be signs of persistent damage in organs, including the lung and other organs such as the heart and the brain, and that these patients may continue to have symptoms of breathlessness uh, as well as fatigue months after the initial infection. Um, And certainly from the coronavirus outbreak that we're experiencing right now, there's data from China as well as Italy to suggest that an increasing number of people are reporting symptoms of uh, breathlessness and lack of sleep and even uh, problems with their mental health um, in the months after the initial phase. So the data in terms of whether people are likely to experience ongoing symptoms is um, is scarce and we need to research this some more. Um, and so our plan is to basically follow up people who are, have recovered from uh, the uh, from COVID-19 and and and, base, and invite them to have an MRI scan of their heart, lungs, brain, and kidney, all of which can be done in one hour using state-of-the-art technology that has been developed in Oxford. Just as a more sort of general question, there seems to be a national conversation. Um, the national conversation about COVID-19 seems to be quite black and white in the nature that people seem to think you either sort of recover or you die. Is that too simplistic of an approach and do we know the answer to that question yet? Absolutely. So it is simplistic to answer your first question because if we assume that everyone who survived are well and and 
and not and we don't follow them or follow them up um it's likely that we will miss a significant proportion of people who can have undiagnosed damage to their lungs and it might for instance impair their ability to perform at their day-to-day work or even function at home so unless someone systematically assesses people who are recovering the recovering from these infections and uh, unless someone reports on the extent of any persistent damage we're not going to know whether any ongoing symptoms are related to the to the virus itself or due to something new so i think this research is really important to understand this section of people who may not recover to what their normal state is and it's important to inform public health services as well as the government of the need for ongoing medical surveillance and support for these individuals in the community so do we think that there may be a substantial group of people who may not fully recover so currently we know that uh, one in 20 people uh, are admitted to intensive care uh, when they're diagnosed with COVID-19 and um, and about one in uh, 10 may have moderate to severe infections. There is a high proportion of people in the two groups that I've just described that seem to have damage in other organs. Based on this initial data and observation, we think that this might persist in people who are admitted to hospital. So um, it is likely that if you've, you've been admitted to hospital that there may be persistent damage. And this is, this is why the study uh, is important to capture that. And if, if, if indeed we find that this isn't the case, then that's brilliant news, that's great news for the people who have recovered from this infection. So um, regardless of what the outcome is, it's important to report and, um, to the public. I- Italians and Chinese are reporting that people are breathless, having trouble with sleep and, uh, and, and depression. And everything that we're measuring are going to be really important in this group of people because this is not being done in any other country to the scale that we're planning to do. And we're using very objective measures, uh, which isn't just, um, you know, a clinical review, but we're actually assessing systematically different aspects of health, um, mental, social, physical, and then each organ as well. So it'll be a very comprehensive study that will report on any persistent um, effects of this disease. Dr. Betty Raman there. Now, a couple of pub owners in Oxfordshire have told us that some will close before lockdown is over. Joe's been chatting to Steve Sanderson, who runs the Checkers at Burcott, and explained why they can't offer takeaways and deliveries at the moment and how that's impacting on the business. I would say that we're quite high end um, and getting supplies. Most of my supplies are based in central London and they've stopped. So my butcher that comes out of Smithfield Market is no longer delivering and has closed down. So things like 28-day hung beef is impossible to get now. So we would have to potentially lower our standard to do something um, and obviously do it a lot cheaper um, while putting yourself in danger um, and all them other things that go with it. So it just didn't add up for me at the moment. Yeah, so you just don't want to compromise quality at the moment, which is fair enough. But what does this all mean for your business, though, and the money coming in or, or not coming in at the moment? 
Well, it's not coming in, and I've, I've been hit doubly hard. I've just opened up my own hotel, which I invested 400 grand of my own money in, um, which opened five months ago, and now we've been closed down. So not only do I have a pub, but I have nine hotel rooms. Thankfully, I've got two let out um, over, a very, uh, over a long period of time to nurses, um, but the others are just sort of sitting there. And also, having rooms, um, we have a cleaning company that come in, we have a linen company, all these things have stopped, so we'd have to launder and do all our own stuff, which we've managed to do for the people in there so far, but it's proving very difficult. Talk to me about rents as well, because you're struggling on that side of things. Well, yeah, so our pub company is called Wellington Pub Company. They've got nearly a 1,000 other pubs, um, which they lease or tenant out, um, and they're still asking for rent. They asked for rent three months in advance, which unfortunately, or fortunately, I paid on the 1st of March, so March, so I'm sitting here paying rent on something that I'm not allowed to use. So by the 1st of June, they'll be asking again as it stands at the moment, but we are lobbying as many people as we can, MPs, social media. There's a big campaign, um, No Pub, No Rent, which we're all massively trying to get behind because it's so unfair for us to be having to pay rent on something that we're not allowed to use. Um, we're not even allowed to go in it, basically. So how? why should we be paying rent? Yeah, and the problem is, where is we're all sort of wondering when the lockdown will end, whether the three weeks will be extended. And we're sort of playing it week by week, I suppose. For pubs, are you assuming that the lockdown is going to be just a lot longer for you guys anyway? I think so. Um, I, I thought that initially when they were going to lock us down, I, I thought we would be one of the last things to open. I think when they open up um, general shops um, and so forth in Oxford and whatever, I think people have been used to the social distancing now. So in bigger shops, it'd be, it would be easier to manage. I think with pubs um, and restaurants, it'd be very tricky. And I think there's a lot of talk about them keeping us, making us keep tables two metres apart, which would, which sounds okay, but what, what that would mean is cutting our capacity in half, which then relates to another staffing issue because we wouldn't need all the staff that we've got because we'd only be running on half capacity. So there are many things that we've got to come ahead. And yes, I think we're going to be a long way away from pubs being open. Um, hopefully I'm wrong. I've never wanted to be so wrong in my life, but um, mm. I have a bad feeling we're going to, we are going to be close for a while. Joe also caught up with the manager of a pub in Cumnall who says although some will disappear during this time, the Vine Inn will still be there. Here's Richard talking about how they've been helping out during the lockdown. It's been a challenge. It would have been very easy, to be honest with you, to to have just sort of shut the doors and, and, and waited it out. However, what we decided to do uh, between ourselves and the owners, we had a discussion and uh, decided that if we can do something to help... Uh, during these difficult times we would do and, and what we're doing is a delivery and takeaway service and, and, and it's completely non-contact where we're doing meals for the elderly and to be honest anybody that's vulnerable and anybody who does want it we're not making anything on it it's uh, it's basically turning over the stock at the end of the day uh, both myself and my wife are uh, fully trained chefs which is a good job because we've had to furlough our chef and our cleaner and all the bar staff that we had here. So there's us two rattling around in here uh, with our dog and our parrot. It keeps us busy as well, but it also it's providing a service. Yeah, and, and I think it's lovely, obviously, that you, you didn't want to kind of just sit back and weather the storm. Uh, you wanted to actually say, well, what skills have we got? What can we do to help? And uh, I'm guessing you're getting a lot of positive feedback as well. Oh, extremely. Uh, but it, we, we've got to the point where I've just bought a, um, a, a picture frame 
um, quite a large one to put in um, all the thank you letters and counts that we've had from various people from the community that uh, we've been serving, which is it, it's nice. It, 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 it gives you a nice warm feeling inside. And it, it, again, in times which, uh, yeah, let's be fair, we've, we've never come across this before. It's uh, it, 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 it's very different. Talk to me about how lockdown is actually impacting on your business, though. You've had to furlough staff. I'm guessing you've had a, a big drop in money coming in, but maybe you're still having to pay rents and whatnot. So how are things looking financially, I suppose? Um, we've had a massive drop in uh, in income, obviously, and we've still got, um, obviously, the services to pay for electric bills and gas bills and water bills. They're still there. The, the BT bill is still there. It's a struggle. We're, we're, we're still holding our heads up and, and we will still be there um, come, every, you know, come, come everything going back to normal, if it ever will be back to normal. And I know that other countries are uh, relaxing things at the moment or starting to, but we were behind them. So it is, it is going to take a while. And yes, I am concerned. I mean, unfortunately, and I hate to see, and always have done over the last few years, because obviously over the last few years, there's an awful lot of pubs in in our industry countrywide that have disappeared. And unfortunately, there will be some that will disappear during this. We will be here come reopening, and I'm sure everybody will be eager to get back out there. We actually did a Twitter poll recently at Jack FM News and we were asking you what you plan to do first after the lockdown. What came out on top? Going to the pub, of course, with almost 50% of the vote. Now on to Ramadan. This year's Muslim holy month got underway at the end of last week. With local mosques shut, social distancing in place and services going online, this year's Ramadan is going to be a very different one. We spoke to Oxford Imam Manawar Hussein about the month ahead. He's praying that lockdown will be lifted so that Muslims can celebrate Eid Mubarak in four weeks' time. Well, Ramadan is a month of community. So, you know, we break fast together, uh, we keep our uh, prayers in the evening uh, together, so there's an additional prayer. Uh, we try and to spend time in worship and um, prayer and reflection, and the mosque is is the heart of the uh, community um, in all the activities in the month of Ramadan. So this year, of course, with a very heavy heart uh, for all faiths, really, none of us can really uh, use our uh, place in the worship. So uh, this means that uh, the mosque is really going to be uh, virtual in one sense, uh, and also people are creating their own spaces within the home where the families can sit and pray together, reflect together, break fast together, and keep fast together. So it's, it's pretty heavy, especially, I think, for all the community, but especially our elders who you know, um, the month of Ramadan, the mosque becomes a center uh, for them where they can spend time and be with others. And so it, it's going to be tough for everybody. But I think um, all our mosques are using uh, virtual uh, technology, i.e., you know, sort of uh, uh, Zoom or uh, Facebook. Um, there are transmitters um, which transmit the prayers from the mosques. Um, the call to prayer and, and other sermons or, or um, you know just comforting words from the imams. So there there are mechanisms there, but it's it, you know it's going to be hard and heavy for all of us. Um, and and we, you know we will we will get through this. Is it the most challenging Ramadan that you remember? Yeah, it's 
the most challenging moment in my life. Um, you know, never ever did I ever uh, envisage uh, such a difficult time for all of us. Uh, you know, just you can't go out, um, you can't see your friends, you can't be uh, with people um, at a funeral. You know, we have uh, a, a good friend who passed away yesterday at the funeral, but only a small number of family can be there. These are going to be uh, heavy uh, things that will weigh heavily on our souls. Um, and so will require time for reflection and prayer and working through, um, you know, that memory of not being around for, for someone at a moment when they passed away and uh, you're not being there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be very hard. But yeah, I mean, it's unprecedented. What was your message? to the uh, the local Muslim community be at this time? My message really is not just for the Muslim community, but the, all our communities. And this is that, you know, we're, we, we need to bring out the very best in all of us. And that really means we must look out for those who are vulnerable in our communities, um, those who uh, might be self-isolating or elderly, so look out for them. Uh, that's also the spirit of Ramadan, looking out for the vulnerable, feeding the poor. Uh, it's usually a month in which something like a hundred million pound is donated by the Muslim community to good causes um, and to charitable causes. So this will be a moment also to um, to support uh, local initiatives. And one of the initiatives that uh, we're setting up uh, is a fund locally to support um, with food and, and and supply of food to the, to the needy uh, in in our communities. Obviously, it, it, it's a it's a month long. Um, it ends uh, on the on the 23rd of May. What would it mean to you? Uh, obviously, an un- unprecedented time where we we have no idea what the future holds. But what would it mean to you guys to be able to get together in a month's time to be able to to celebrate the breaking of that final fast? Oh, well, that would be the uh, greatest uh, Eid present that we've ever had. You know, just simply to come together, to be together, and to break fast together, and to celebrate together. Um, you know, to, to share food and to share company and, you know, just to hug each other and shake hands and kiss our children, you know, and our, you know, our nephews and nieces and... Yeah, that would just be uh, uh, incredible and amazing. So that's what we're all praying for. You know, we, we, we're all praying uh, uh, for, for relief and for, for this uh, COVID-19 um, to be over. And we're really praying for a vaccine, you know, that's being tested here in Oxford. I think it's going to change things for um, possibly for the best after this. Uh, we would have dis- we discovered something of a community spirit that we, we felt was kind of losing a little bit. Economically, the outbreak has hit the poorest in our community hardest, and some families in Oxford are struggling to put food on the table. That's according to the City Council, who have sent out over 3,000 food parcels since lockdown began. They're trying to help everyone that needs it, and we spoke to Deputy Leader Linda Smith help is available to people no one needs to go hungry whether it's because people can't get out to the shops um, at the moment because they're self-isolating or if people's uh, financial circumstances have have changed dramatically and they just don't have money to to buy food at the moment uh, there is assistance available we want people to come forward 
And actually, it sounds like you've been hearing some quite sort of harrowing stories of people that are going hungry and that are having to skip meals. Tell us about some of the people that have been getting in touch with you. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. So some of the calls that we've received, you know, of people needing assistance, um, we're hearing from parents who have been going hungry themselves so they can feed their kids. We're hearing from um, elderly people who've been unable to get out to the shops, unable to use online delivery services, um, who uh, have been surviving on bread and butter for days. So, you know, in circumstances like that, we're able to get an emergency food parcel to, to people. You know, unfortunately, there is demand out there. We're helping around 800 people a week with uh, access to food. So there is a demand, um, but we need, just want to make absolutely sure that everyone in the city knows that this assistance is available. And tell us a bit about those food parcels that you do send out. What do they look like? What do they have inside? The food parcels, it's mainly the kind of uh, dry staples that people would get from a food bank in uh, usual circumstances, food that comes from the major supermarkets. But we're also making sure that uh, food parcels distributed by the City Council are topped up with some fresh and healthy food as well. It's enough to tie people over for a few days. And are you hoping that this will kind of keep some of the pressure off of local food banks as well that are already up and running and sort of help complement them? Yeah, so the the food banks that we have in the city, they've they've had to change throughout the pandemic, change how they operate um, because of the social distancing um, requirements. Um, so there are food banks, there are food larders available, um, but it's quite limited. Um, it's just a few hours a week at uh, various venues throughout the city. But again, if people contact the main council number, 249-811, um, we, were, we are able to direct people to those services. Services, if, if that's most appropriate for people rather than them receiving a parcel. For a lot of families with children as well that were maybe relying on free school meals whilst the schools were open, they are still eligible for some help on that front. Yeah, so we've put out information today about, you know, reminding people to register for free school meals and check their eligibility for free school meals if their family circumstances have changed recently. But we're also aware that, you know, there have been um, some hold-ups with vouchers. So this service is there for people in that situation as well. You know, if you're having difficulty feeding your kids, you know, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Linda Smith there from the Oxford City Council. Now back at the start of the year, Australian wildfires were torching millions of acres of land in the Southern Hemisphere. As a response here, the UK crafters, Oxfordshire and Central Hub, formed to try and lend a helping hand. Now they've gone from helping fight the effects of one crisis to another. They make drawstring wash bags so that frontline workers can bag up their clothes after a shift and reduce the risk. They've already given out 7,000 of them in Oxfordshire. Emma Cohen spoke to Mel Vets to find out more. So at the moment, we are making wash bags for NHS and frontline workers um, just so they can pop scrubs, uniforms in them at the end of their day um, and then that can go into the wash with them. Um, And we have recently, within the last week, just opened a sister group um, um, who are actually making scrubs as well. So we were finding that there was a demand for those and we started making scrubs for the local area. So what made you want to launch the initial one then of making the wash bags? So we've we've had the craft group running since um, the beginning of the year. We were sort of born out of the um, Australian bushfire crisis. Um, there was a national call for crafters to make things to help the wildlife. Um, and we had a subgroup for Oxfordshire and that we built such a lovely community that we wanted to kind of keep that going and turn our attention to local projects, which we, we've done. 
Um, we were then approached at the end of March by um, some local frontline workers saying, have you seen these laundry bags? Do you think you could help us? Uh, we went out to the group and they were like, absolutely, yes, we, we want to help. So we started making them. And as word of mouth got around, we saw that there was a, a big demand for them. So we um, put the put the word out to sort of other local crafting communities. Um, and our membership went up from um, 400 to about 2,300. Um, and we've now sent out um, just shy of 7,000 bags. How easy are they to make and what do they look like? Um, they're relatively easy to make. So they are um, they're drawstring bags. So similar to like, the you know, the old fashioned PE kits, where you, bags where you have the drawstring at the top. Um, and they can be made from pillowcases, duvet covers, um, any sort of material that you have, as long as it can be washed um, a minimum of 60 degrees, because obviously we're looking at infection control. Um, and then um, they, they're just converted. So we're sort of recycling fabrics that we've got um, within the home. Um, and then once they are um, made, they're washed at 60 degrees, put in a Ziploc bag and sealed. And then we write the date and the time on them so that when we post them out to um, the frontline workers, they know not to open them um, until 72 hours after the, the date and time on the, um, on the bag. What made you want to get involved with this? So um, I'm one of the admins, one of four on the group, um, and it just seemed like it was something we could do. A lot of people, um, especially sort of in self-isolation, you feel a little bit helpless and there isn't much you can do to help the situation. But this was giving us a chance to thank the NHS staff and all the frontline workers that are doing an amazing job in really awful circumstances. Um, but it also gave our crafters um, and some of the, the messages we've been getting from them, they're getting a sense of purpose and a sense of focus. So they sort of thank the group um, for being there because it's a really lovely supportive um, group as well. So it's a really nice sort of feel to everybody's coming together as a crafting community to thank all these wonderful people. But it's also helping helping them in their sort of daily lives in these um, sort of quite stressful times for some people. And where have the bags actually been sent out to? Um, so they've been sent out to um, all of the um, local hospitals. We've got quite, quite close links with all of them now. Um, then we've sent them out. They've gone to care homes. They've gone to a prison, um, community nurses, paramedics, um, quite a variety of, of people. Now for something pretty special to end on. For many, music has been an important escape during the lockdown, with people using the time to play and listen to their favourite tunes. A group of 30 musicians in Banbury have harnessed the power of music to raise money for a local hospital, and I spoke to Tom, one of the organisers, to find out more. Well, obviously with the the, the lockdown as it's been, um, most of the musicians at Banbury, like all other entertainers, entertainers really at the moment, and... Uh, We've got very empty gig schedule, uh, very empty gig calendars. So uh, we thought it'd be nice to do something, sort of give a little back, try and raise some money. Obviously, we can't do a, a fundraiser in the traditional way, which would be like a benefit gig or something like that. Um, so we did like a virtual song and tried to get as many of the local musicians involved as we could. Um, we ended up with, I think, uh, well over 30 uh, musicians were involved on the track, but uh, obviously it was all done virtually. Uh, people were sending various bits of footage and, and, and audio to me, and then we put it together as one track with a, a GoFundMe link for our local Horn General Hospital through the Oxford Hospital Charity. Um, it's been running for about uh, a week so far, um, and so far we've raised just shy of £4,000, so it's gone really, really well. 
Amazing. And which songs did you decide to go for? Uh, we wanted something that was reasonably upbeat, but also quite pertinent at these times. So we went with the uh, the Joe Cocker version of, uh, with a little help from my friends, an old Beatles tune. Perfect. Was it hard to sort of pull all those tracks together and make it into a a workable song? Uh, yeah, fairly challenging. Um, I know a lot of uh, people are doing these sort of online collaborations at the moment. I think that the difficulty for this one was uh, the sheer volume of people on it. Um, with with up to thirty musicians, it uh, it creates a, yeah a, a little bit of a headache. But uh, I think the result was was pretty good. Um, everyone was uh, very pleased to be involved with it and did sort of everything they could to make it as good as as they could. So uh, it was it's kind of fun to work with so many of the local musicians uh, on one project. I don't think we've ever had anything like that in the past, where um, all the musicians have come together uh, on one track. So talk me through 30 musicians. What are we talking here? How many guitars? How many basses? How many drummers? That sort of thing. <laughs> so we had uh, at least two bass guitarists. Uh, guitarists, we must have had seven or eight, I think. Uh, we had a full brass complement. So we had the uh, saxophone, trombone, trumpets, two trumpets, actually. Um, vocalists, I think there were probably 18, 19 different vocalists. Uh, possibly more, actually, because most people sang throughout the choruses and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a busy project, but uh, but but a fun one. Bit of a different question: How much has music been a salvation for yourself? And do you think the sort of the general people in this group? Uh, I think it's been very important. I mean, it's it's, it's very important for us anyway. But I, mean, I think in times like this, uh, I think all of the arts become vital. I think they're a, a sort of particularly uh, with with so many people trapped at home I think this, this you know the arts becomes a, a really important salvation for everyone I think whether it be art or music or, or theatre or whatever it might be um, I think you, sort of, you learn to appreciate it even more particularly for us that, that are now currently finding ourselves unable to gig uh, in the sort of conventional sense um, actually this kind of online medium has become a, a godsend for most of us as well it means we can still continue to play and we can still continue to play together uh, as, a, as a group um, in this case a very big group but uh, you know it is uh, um, yeah it's, it's a lifeline for a lot of people I think What does it mean to you to be able to raise a substantial amount of money? I think it's it's great I mean it, it's, it's so nice that the people in the town have been so generous already with it but uh, I think because we're, we're, because we're supporting our local NHS workers and our local hospital I think the cause is a, a, a very very important one at any time but uh, particularly um, right now, you know, I think uh, anything we can do to raise funds for these people uh, that are working, you know, incredibly hard is, is uh, all, all the better, really. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been lovely. It's been really lovely to see to see the I think initially we, we, we put a target of a thousand pounds, which we surpassed within about three hours of it going out. So it just shows how I think important it is to everybody in the town. And everybody wanted to, to, to give money to it because it was such a, uh, you know, a, a worthy cause. That's pretty much it from us this week. So we're going to leave you with some of that music from Banbury. We'll have another podcast out soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Till then, look after yourselves and stay safe. Here's the Banbury Quarantine Collective playing us out. First, you're going to hear from Tom telling us all the musicians involved with the project in a bit. Okay, so the bands involved were uh, my own band, the Scar Electrics. We had another um, Scar band, the Two Tone All Scars, the Duckworths, Nevermind, Uninvited, Sledgehammer, Dirty Deeds, The Meanies, 
two really, really good acoustic uh, duos, Jim Breslin and Laney Foster, Stuart Lazell and Stevie Cooper, and then a selection of amazing musicians locally, Linda Webb on drums, Andy Goodman playing some keys, Steve Anker playing trombone, uh, Lee Chambers doing some vocals and guitar, we had Jason Page and Valerie Vett and Selena Evangeline. And I think that's everybody. I think that covers everybody. I apologise if I've missed anyone. You know I'm gonna 